2: There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps.
1: <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows
0: of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and he's not behind the glass today. Rocket Man, Andy Bishop, Pacal. and, and straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks, and represent. We've been talking about this for a little while, guys. We are finally at Berean Bible Church. We've been telling our audience for quite some time, and uh, we have our guest, Pastor David Curtis from the Berean Bible Church. Thank you so much for being here. In You're your, welcome.
3: It's good to be here
0: in your own church. Thank you for being <laughs> in your own church today. <laughs> no, but thank you for hosting us. It's so awesome. Um, I've told, I've sort of told everybody about you know how I met you. Actually, was online just by accident. I, you know, I had been studying the scriptures for a long time, you know, my, pretty much my whole life. And it was, the eschatology is such a bear, especially in the Baptist world, when you're looking towards the future for everything. And so it can be a mess. And every time something happens, you know, Ukraine has been invaded by Russia. And so the whole world went crazy. And now, you know, here it is, you know, and everybody's waiting to take the mark of the beast. And so it was very exhausting. And then, you know, a couple years ago is whenever I stumbled upon the, the preterist, You know, eschatological view, but then we were the boroughs of Berea, and we, you know, I'm I'm doing some searching, and then there's this Berean Bible Church, and I was like, oh, that's neat, and I just looked, and you guys had this amazing YouTube channel with all kinds of videos, so I just started watching, and I was like, wow, this is really something. So I got to know you a lot longer before you even knew who I was, you know, and so we, this past spring. Uh, We came to the spring conference so that we can meet you because we've been using your notes on the show. Um, Well, not all of them, but the ones that I want to (laughs) do. So we've been, but anyway, so, but tonight what we want to do is we would like to hear your personal testimony. And I've heard little bits and pieces. I heard a little bit at the spring conference and that's really, we were doing a testimony series this year and I thought, wow, I'd really like to know, you know, um, more about your walk, because you weren't always a preterist. And I assume you That's were, true. <laughs> and, and you weren't always a Calvinist, I'm sure. Uh, no, I wasn't. Right, so it's a journey, you know, and that's some, something that I really want our audience to understand is that you don't just get born again and then miraculously everything's done and you're done. It, it's a, it really is a walk. And some people are afraid to, to venture out, you know, and to get out from what they've always just trusted and believed because of what people think. And I know you're going to have some of that in your past, so... I always ask every guest, the first question I ask them is, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ?
3: Uh, I don't know. I was, I came from a a good family. I mean, my mom and my dad loved each other. I'm the oldest of three. I have a younger brother and then a younger sister. So I came from a good home. We went to a Presbyterian church. Uh, Church was just something I had to do. I didn't like it at all. But I remember one time uh, sitting on my bike, Stingray Schwinn Stingray, banana seat, butterfly handlebars. I was probably ten years old, sitting at the top of the hill overlooking the lake, Lake Erie, and just you know singing one of the church hymns, you know. And I just thought, you know, this is kind of weird, you know. I mean, I guess I picked up that hymn from being at the church, but uh, I didn't care much for God, didn't think much about it just kind of was doing my own thing, going my own way, you know, living life. And I got a job at a foundry out of high school, which is not a good place to work. But I ended up in the core room, which is basically a sandbox, okay? In the core room, you make, you take sand, you put it in molds, you make these molds, then they take them and, you know, pour molten iron over them and make different things. So I had a good job there. Well, I'm working and playing in the sand, you know, making stuff. And some guy comes over to me and hands me a track, Chick Publication, Big Daddy. It's against evolution, basically. And but so they're a little comic books. So I stopped working and I leaned against my bench and I'd start reading this comic book. And I was like, all this stuff, you know, about God. And, and I just, I don't know, it just, obviously it was supernatural and God got my attention. And I went to the guy and gave it to me and said, okay, what? how does this work? How do I become a Christian? And he told me, you just have to ask the Lord to save you, you know, and so I did, and I came back the next day and said, uh, no, I, it was, I guess, a little time later, because I was with someone else who was a Christian, and I was just, my language was pretty foul, and he's like, he quoted some scripture out of context to tell me I shouldn't do that, but I, so... You know, I felt bad about it. You know, he Matthew, Every you know, you'll know, you be judged for every idle word you speak. You know, by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So I went back to the guy who gave me the track and said, hey, how do I quit cussing? You know, he said, just ask the Lord, take it away. I'm like, okay. So I went home that night, and I did, and that was it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this stuff's pretty cool. So right after I became a Christian, I knew I was going to preach. How? I just remember it being so strong, and I felt overwhelmed because the Bible is just such a vast book, and I'm like, how am I supposed to know this? How could I teach this when it's so huge? By the time I got—I was 21 when I got saved. By that time, I had read two books my whole life, okay? I mean, I got through school, didn't have much of a problem, but I didn't work at it. I read The Story of Bruce Lee and Judo Boy, that's all I mean that was it. That was the only two books I ever read. So this Christian thing was like, you know, when I when I became a Christian though, I started buying books. Started buying books, started reading books. And it's it's daunting because you know how many different viewpoints there are out there? And so like
0: two, two,
3: maybe three. Yeah. yeah. It was just overwhelming, you know. All the different voices, you know, and we went. I went through some weird stuff, you know. I, I wrestled with was drinking a problem because I kind of had a drinking problem, and uh, so I'm, I don't know how I knew about Gideon and his fleece. So I went to bed and I laid my Bible on the nightstand. I said, Lord, if it's, if it's okay for me to keep drinking, open this up tonight. And when I get up, I'll keep—I can't remember what the situation was. I guess he did nothing, so then I got no answer. But I got up, and nothing had happened, you know, and I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, God, you're not helping me out here, you know. I need some answers, so—but the answer was I joined the military, To get away from alcohol. (laughs) People laugh when I tell them that. Uh, But Kathy comes from a family of, she has nine brothers and sisters.
0: Kathy being your wife.
3: My wife, yes. yes. She has a huge family. And when that family gets together, it's a party. It's just, you know, the first time I went out with her, we went to her house and I thought, what are you having, a neighborhood party? She said, these are my brothers and sisters. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is crazy. But so I joined the military to get away from that. And and my dad, when we got married, says, the best advice I could give you is leave town, leave everybody, go start your life on your own without outside influences. Well, we did. We moved here, you know, and didn't know anybody and just kind of started all over. No alcohol. And uh, so that's kind of how things got going, you know. And again, I'm just reading, trying to grow. I remember being at in the Navy, at work, trying to find other Christians. And so I sat there, and first lieutenant was uh, the division, and I'm sitting there in that division thinking, how am I going to find the Christians? So I just was watching everybody, listening to them. And I kept watching this one guy, and he didn't cuss. So I listened to him for about 15 minutes, and he hadn't cussed in 15 minutes. I'm like, this guy's a sailor. A, He's not A literal cussing. sailor,
2: yeah. <laughs> so I, w- I went
3: over to him, and I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I am. And I'm like, I introduced myself. We became really good friends with him and his wife. Uh, as a matter of fact, that was, my words. how many years ago? 40-some years ago? Last week, his son, who flies, was in town and called us and wanted to get together, and we got to have together and had dinner with him. It's just, it was so weird because it was such a blast from the past, but um, we just became good friends. But I just went on studying. When I started Christianity, I believed every doctrine differently than what I believe now. I mean, it's like I started at one end, went to the other. And I think because I'm so pig-headed, the Lord, you know, it's hard to get upset with people who hold the wrong doctrine. When I held those doctrines at one time, you know, so I know what they believe, I understand it, because I've been there. So, you know, that's kind of how we started out. It was a good move, though. We got here and, you know, things were going really good. I was really into lifting and bodybuilding, and I woke up one day and trying to go to work, and I tried to jog like I normally did, and I could hardly, you know, just my legs felt like they were lead weights. And I was like, what in the world's wrong with me? got to work, just felt off, went to the gym at lunch, couldn't do anything. So I went home. When I got home that night, uh, I tried to open a pickle jar and couldn't do it. I said, something's <laughs> not right with me, you know? And I tried the to cut- guy that
2: worked out a foundry out of high school. <laughs> yeah. Right? And now I can't open a pickle jar. I tried,
3: I tried to cut my nails with the nail clipper and I couldn't squeeze them. I mean, my arms were flexing and I couldn't squeeze them. So Kathy took me to the uh, emergency room on base and I had Guillain-Barre syndrome, which I got from the swine flu shot that the military made me get. So I became totally paralyzed from the neck down for a while and- I was in intensive care for three weeks. From the time I got there to the time I left, I lost 30 pounds of muscle atrophy because the nerves stopped sending impulse to the muscles. So when I went in, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I don't have my shirt on. And the guys are like, oh, you look like Hercules Unchained. And when I left, they called me pencil arms. <laughs> so it was quite a drastic, but wow. I knew it was happening. God was trying to get my attention. And finally, I said, OK, Lord, I get what you're saying. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. Because I knew he'd called me to preach. And I just, I was focusing on a lot of different other things. Well, he got my attention. And so I really started getting serious about studying, again, buying more books, uh, joined a college, went to a college, which you know was so hard on my wife. We had two kids at the time. And I'm going to work and then going to college at night. And so she's taking care of everything. And uh, so it was a difficult time. But I learned quite a bit of things. The one thing I learned <laughs> college was uh, if you have a library card, you can do everything they do at college. You know, they just, here's a book, read this book, and come back and tell us about it, you know? And I mean, I think college helped me as I met some really good people there. Uh, but other than that, it was just, you know, a read, read.
2: A reading list.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you read this book, and then we'll talk about it, and then you pay us yeah. for letting you, telling you what books to read, you know? Well, some of the books— I was like, they quote other authors, so I would look up those authors, and they were against what the church, this college, believed in. So it got to be a problem there. Um, I was going to a Baptist church, and you know, my theology just started changing. You know, I'm starting to. I think the most important thing, and the thing that was so overwhelming to me, was the Bible is such a huge book, and I push our people constantly now to read the Bible. You know, we try to get our people to read through the Bible every year, cover to cover. And most Christians have never read the book, you know. Many pastors have never read the book cover to cover. And I just think that's how you learn what's in there, you know, and so doing that, I'm coming across things. I remember I was so anti-Calvinist. Calvinists were just, I felt Calvinists are all, they seem to be highly educated. They're so educated that they don't know what they're doing, you know. (laughs) Because to me, it was just, I don't know, it was really an affront. And I just got to the point where, well, I had been teaching through the Bible verse by verse. I, I studied, after I got out of the military, I worked for the Naval Air Rework Facility. I worked at a bench building cables. And so I had a tape player and uh, headphones, and I would listen to MacArthur all day, every day, eight hours a day. And I, you know, I developed that verse by verse style. I just thought this is important. He's going through the Bible. He might not be right. <laughs> you know, just some of the things he's saying, but he's going through the Bible. And to me, that was, let's learn what the Bible says. Well, I'm teaching through James and I come, you know, uh, to the verse that says, of his own will be God us by the word of truth. And I thought, that's weird. What do you mean of his, his own will? What about my will? And I just started digging it. And I, I'll tell you, that was a super rough week for me. I was in my office, banging my head on the desk, you know, crying. I'm like, I didn't want to be a Calvinist, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I was like, I don't know. This is just what the Bible teaches, you know? So I'm like, okay, what do I do, you know, about the, the other people in the church? So we got the elders together and we went away for a weekend to the mountains and got a cabin in the mountains and we spent the weekend studying together. And everybody came out of that retreat of Calvinists, you know? So we just, Hammered it out. That's how we did things, you know. And uh, later, you know, with the whole Preterist thing, that uh, same thing. Um, can
2: you, can you, for those of us, can you refresh me on what a Calvinist, what Calvinism is in the context? Okay, yeah, of I'm, I'm I sorry.
3: You- that's a that's a term. You know, some people don't like the term. I just think it, it, you know, when you know who Calvin is, I guess it just explains it. But what you got the churches divided between Arminians and Calvinists and the Arminian believes we have a free will. We choose God. Okay. We,
2: so it's a similar argument as the, it's just the same philosophy, the, the philo- philosophical argument of Calvinism. It's about free will. Then.
3: No, I don't think that, well, see, I wouldn't call it philosophical though. I just think it's biblical. Okay. You, you know, the Bible teaches that God chooses. We don't choose. God chooses. And I believed that I had that choice. And as I study the scriptures, I just see everywhere that no, it's it's not our choice. You know, he chooses, he draws, and unless he draws, you know, we don't come. You know, and
2: that's Thank you. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it, I need those refreshers and.
3: Oh, that's so. that's not a problem. I, you know, so some people don't like the terms, and I just, you know, it's hard to get around using labels. And it is, you a, know,
0: it's a painful thing, honestly, because I had a very similar experience. I, I had a coworker that was a Calvinist that brought me Studies in Saving Faith by A.W. Pink, and I didn't know who All Pink was, you know, when I read it and. And it was, it was, it was incredibly eye-opening. Then it's like those verses in the scripture, even when you're reading it cover to cover, sometimes you read it so fast, you get, you miss when it says, like John six forty four. you know, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And you're like, what does that mean exactly? Like, wait a second. So yeah, it's, it, it's in there. That's the thing about the scriptures. It's in there. And I mean, and that's how I believe. I've, and, I've heard you make that argument. And yes. we've talked about that. Yeah, in, you know, in our... In our studio, we've had that, you know, several back and forth about free will versus, or Arminian versus Calvinism. And Jeff actually has, uh, Jeff McCormick has a great, like, thing on yeah. your a, website. It's
2: a mixed room at home as far as, like, Calvinism, I think. Okay. I
0: think it's a mixed
3: room across the country. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, right. you oh, know? Yeah. And the church itself is definitely divided on this issue, sure. you know? Um, but like you mentioned, John six forty four, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent me draw him. Right. And... So for, it's saying that nobody can come, all mm-hmm. right? So nobody comes unless, well, there's a one can, how does someone come? He They're drawn by the Father. And the word there is helkuo, mm. the Greek word. And it's only used like six or seven times in the scripture. You look up every use of it. It doesn't, you know, they say, well, that means he calls or... He, no, it doesn't. It, the word means to drag by irresistible superiority. Yes. All right, now we're just sticking with the Bible and trying to pull out what does this verse mean mm-hmm. by what it says. The verse is used of Peter drawing his sword. You know, Peter didn't say, well, "Come on out, sword. Come on, <laughs> if, if you'd like to, you can come out." No, he grabbed it and he drew it. It's drawing a net in full of fish. You know, it's just that's what I mean. When you get in the scripture and you start looking at it and breaking it down, it doesn't have different views on things. It just gives you one view. And so Calvinism, you know, like I said, that was a hard shift for me.
0: It's a difficult thing, isn't it? Like I, I've, I remember it for myself. There are times whenever you learn something in the scripture that, and it's weird, it's like, we have volition. We know we have volition. You know, you could come across the room and smack me right now. So that volition is almost like wants to war with that. Like, how, what do you mean that you have all sovereignty? But then if you really think about it, of course he does. You know, like it's it's really simple. But if you, you force yourself to believe what the word says, and everyone is coming from a different direction— it doesn't, whatever sect it might be, you, you could say I'm a Baptist and <laughs> there's like 35 different Baptists, you know, and every one of them picks and chooses certain things. But if you go through the scriptures and you keep reading it, I had a similar thing that, that you did, Pastor Curtis, where it was just like, what do you mean? Like, how, what do you mean that I I, I choose? I choose. But I, I had to give that up. And I did, you know, obviously I, you know, I just believe that God is completely sovereign.
3: I do. And that's an important point, though, Rick, that we have volition. Because people think when you say you're Calvinist, well, then you're just a robot. No, I have volition. I make choices every day, all kinds of choices, you Mm -hmm. know? Just God is sovereign over those choices. Now, how does that work out? I don't know, okay? But I do make choices. But Luther wrote a book, The Bondage of the Will, okay? It's a huge, thick book. And in there, he goes into the fact that, you know, nobody has a free will. A free will would be a will uninfluenced by anything, Okay, none of us have that because we have all kinds of input from our surroundings, from our education, whatever, that leans us in a certain direction. You're hungry.
2: You're tired. Everything influences your decisions. The will is,
3: you know, the will is in bondage to the heart. It's what you think. The will is in bondage to that. You know, if I hate something, I don't have the free will to go do that. I will never do that. I hate that. I don't like it. I won't go anywhere near it. You know, but like you said, too, there's all these other influences, you know. So the will is never free. It would have to be
0: uninfluenced by anything. Right. And I don't know how that could happen, you know, so. At all. Yeah, I don't either. So back to where you were, you were talking about how you were, you would become a Calvinist, basically.
3: Right. And, the, and so, you know, it's just, <laughs> like I said, the more I studied the scriptures, they didn't line up with anything I believed, it seemed like you know, and I'd gone through all these different changes. And then the last thing was kind of eschatology. And I'd played with eschatology a little bit, looked at this, look at that. I came to a partial preterist position. I was pretty comfortable there. I said, okay, this is good. And then um, I published a couple articles online just when the internet was kind of brand new back in 97 and got some feedback from some people saying, okay, do you you are preterist, do you take this all away? And I'm like, what do you mean by that? You know, didn't really understand. And then uh, a guy I used to work with who I hadn't talked to for 10 years, he called me and said, I hear you're a preterist. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, You take it all the way. And I'm like, uh, Why don't, what do you mean by that? You know, he goes, I have a couple of books I'll bring you. I'm like, okay. And that same week, my mother, I'm over at her house for dinner and she comes out with her Bible and she goes, What does this mean? And she brings me Matthew 16, 27 and 28. Mm, wow. You know, there's some of you standing here that shall not taste death till they see the son of man come in his kingdom and I'm like, "Mom, I think it might believe I think it might mean what it says, but I don't really know right now, you know?" And so I got that guy's books. He, he came by I wasn't home. I set them on the corner of my desk and I walked around them for 2 weeks. You know, they were there and they were taunting me and I was afraid to read them because I knew this is going to be a costly move. Okay. well, finally, I sat down and I read them. And sure enough, I was like, oh, I was sold. You know, I was just one of the books was Behold, I Come Quickly. Uh, I don't even remember what the other one was called. But yeah, it was just a clear case of preterism. And so I started looking at the scriptures again. And I'm like, so I go to Rich. uh, We met every week. He's one of the elders at the church and shared with him the view. and." At that point in time, when Rich came to our church, he had most of the New Testament memorized. And so it was kind of a short study for him. You know, the gears just started turning right away. And he's like, ha, this makes perfect sense, you know. I was teaching through the book of Corinthians. I was just finishing 14. And so I went to the elders and said... <laughs> <laughs> I need to. If take you a know the Bible, we're
0: laughing because once you get to 15, you're like you're, you know, I,
3: the, chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. I'm like, I don't know yeah, anything about the yeah. resurrection anymore. You know, I don't didn't know what I thought before. Now I really don't know what I think. You know, so I just said, I, I asked the the elders for a sabbatical. You know, I said I need to. Why? I didn't really want to tell them, um, but I did, and I ordered four copies of the Paraciah, handed them out, and the next meeting they said we're not reading this. We don't want anything to do with this. you know. And I'm like, wait a minute, if you're not reading it, how do you know? Let's talk about it. And they said, no. I said, let's go away and let's sit down with our Bibles. And they said, no. I mean, they would not look at the scriptures. Okay. They just were paranoid. They weren't going to do it. So Rich and I just decided we don't have a lot of choices here. Uh, let's just resign Because if we start having a fight, the church was about 250 people at the time. And I said, if we start battling here, it's going to hurt a lot of people. So let's just resign. Let's just go off and start over. Were you
0: working a job at that time? No. So you were full-time ministry? Yes. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yes.
3: Wow. I've been full-time ministry since I started back in 84, I guess, as a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. They hired me, went full-time, and it's, yeah, I've been
0: full-time... Ever you recognize since. that pressure too, like every time that, you know, like you said, your beliefs continuously changed as you read the scripture. So, did it, did they change enough to, like, let's say when you converted, I, I hate to say converted to Calvinism, but here we go, <laughs> right? Here we go. That's but, a good word. When, yeah. <laughs> so, whenever you uh, became a Calvinist, were you, uh, for example, were you at a free will Baptist church as a youth pastor and then that changed? And so you had to go to a Reformed Baptist church or anything like that? No, or?
3: I was at a Baptist church. So, yeah, there was a conflict there, you know. But here's the thing at this church, I got joked a lot because I was always studying the Bible. Hmm. I mean, I thought, that's what, I, you? I thought that's what what you're supposed Why are you to do. the Bible? Right. But they would joke me all the time, you know, what are you doing? Studying the Bible again? Ha <laughs> ha ha. And I'm like, that's kind of, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Right. One time the pastor called me, he was in a counseling session and he called me and he said, what's the Bible say about this? I need to answer right away. I'm talking, in the middle of a counseling session, he called me and I'm like, if you read the Bible once in a while, you might know what it said, you know? So I knew that my days- before Google, I'm assuming. Yeah, I knew my (laughs) days there were short-lived because, you know, my Calvinism was getting in the way. and, And also I just was troubled by so many things that happened at the church. You know, it was like a- like a scheme to separate people from their money. That was the main mm. issue with the church, you know, money, 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 money.
0: And this is something you, you know? would see as an administrator, like, or as an assistant or a, well, just being
3: there, you know, in the congregation, I'm like, you know, or you go to an independent church like that and, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, You're picking that up, Wednesday yeah, night. Yeah,
2: but that's life.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, any time you went to church, they passed an offering. You know, uh, they had all kinds of different programs. They had all tithe Sunday. And that happened. Let's, if you don't tithe, try it. Everybody tried on this Sunday. You'll like it so good, you'll do it all the time. At the end of the summer, they had makeup Sunday. If you didn't give a tithe or during the summer because you're on vacation or something, now you can make it up. They did the chest of Joash where they actually put a chest up at the front of the church and had people get up and march around and put money I mean everything and I was just so sick over this I'm like this is just not right lord this is not I just I don't know I just felt like I didn't fit you sure. know and then as I became a calvinist you know the pastor came to me and said can you write a tract so you know a gospel tract that we can give and yeah I said yeah I'll put point 1 be elect you know, and he he didn't like that too much. You know, so I was just joking, of course, but but he didn't like that, and the differences were growing stronger and stronger. So I knew I knew I had to leave. You know, so we, how does we, this
1: affect your wife? I mean, you you made a lot of changes here, and you're with this woman <laughs> since you were both very young. Yes, and you've made a lot of changes, and 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 she's still with you. Amen. Because uh, that doesn't happen very often in real life, uh, let alone with someone who's making the huge changes spiritually that you are. How did that affect her? I'm sure it, it, I, I know that she supported you, but uh, how did? What was
3: there conflict there? She didn't sign up to marry a preacher. Let's just put it that way. Okay, she had no from clue. from a family of partiers, man. Uh, we had been <laughs> we had been together for three years, and uh, and I became a Christian. And I became a Christian and I said, okay, we need to get married. So we got married and I left for boot camp and I made her promise to read her Bible every day while I was gone. And about halfway through boot camp, she wrote me a letter saying that she became a Christian. So I hadn't got to Corinthians yet, and my Bible said, I didn't know I was supposed to not marry an unbeliever, okay? I was just, <laughs> I was six months old, I hadn't gotten that far, I didn't understand that much. So I married her, but you know, God being gracious as he is worked this out. So yes, we went through a lot of changes, and I'm the kind of person that I question everything. And most churches really don't like that at all. You're right. If no, you ask them a the question. the Catholics, where I'm from. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, first of all, you don't dare question the pastor. I can almost tell the kind of background someone comes from when they come here and visit. And at the end of the sermon, I open it up for questions and they freak out. They're like, you can ask you questions, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, I don't, you know, what if you don't understand something or if I said something wrong, what's, you know, ah?" and people are not used to that. They just, you know. So my wife doesn't, wasn't crazy about my personality of questioning challenging everything, you know, because it got us not the best favorable status at a lot of places. And my wife had a joke that, I don't know if it was a joke or if she was serious, uh, but she used to say it for a while. She goes, what do we believe today? (laughs) 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 And, you know, because there just were so many radical changes, you know, but that's the danger of studying the Bible. Right. I mean, you're going to find out that a lot of stuff that goes on and the church has got nothing to do with the Bible, you know, so it it can be a dangerous position to, to read it on a regular basis and learn what it says, so... Well, okay, so I'm at this, so that's where she's at with all this. You know, when we became a preterist, when this happened, we decided to split. Um, We were going to actually meet at that church in the evening because they weren't having evening services, so they were letting us use the building. Uh, We separated. We had a big service that day, announced our resignation, and people were like, why are you resigning? And we're like, we can't tell you. They put a gag order. They didn't want us to tell anybody anything. So they're like, this is ridiculous, you know? And I'm like, look, you can come to me later if you want. As soon as the service was over, they rallied the troops and they just started attacking us, telling us they were heretics, we're th- saying we don't believe the Bible, saying all this kind of crazy stuff. It was really, really hurtful for my wife. Sure. Um, I, me, you know, you say what you want, I don't care. You know, I mean, it, but she's looking at them attacking me, Me out of a job, all this stuff at the same time. And it was, excuse me, a very stressful situation for her. I'm not exaggerating when I say it sucked the joy out of her for over a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, because people we had ministered to for years and years turned on us, you know, called us heretics. We got all kinds of hate mail. We, you know, all this. And it was just devastating to her because she is a very much a people person, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it was devastating to her. About a year after we had left and started over, we went up with two other couples. We went up to the mountains for a vacation, and we were up in the mountains and we're sitting there talking. And excuse me, she started laughing. And I started crying because I said, I haven't seen you laugh in a year. I mean, it just devastated her. But <laughs> I think now she would agree that we have more friends, more camaraderie, more fellowship among the preterist movement than we've ever experienced in our life. Sure. There's a bond within preterism because there's a persecution towards preterism. Mm-hmm. And I think it drives us together. It helps us to support one another. But we have closer friends now than, than we've ever had, you know, because of it. But it was a long road. It was, it was a hard journey getting there. You know, I was 43 years old. I was out of a job, had no church, had nothing. So we just kind of started over. And, you know, it took a while, but uh, we started making some progress. And uh, it's just the, the church itself, the local, church local, hasn't grown. Uh, it grew for a while. We got up to about one hundred people for a while. And then, you know, people would come in and they'd do fine until they heard me get to a scripture that dealt with Calvinism or preterism. right.
0: We had more people leave over Calvinism than yeah. preterism. Mm-hmm. you know, sure. so and so you right after you right after you when when you became a preterist. Is that when Berean Bible Church began? Yes. Okay, That's what we
3: did. When we left, we were at Faith Bible Church. We left Faith and we started Berean Bible Church. And we called it that because that's kind of, we didn't really leave the church over preterism. We left over the freedom to study the scripture, to let the scripture speak. Right. Because they were like, we're not, we can't even look at it. They would not look at the Bible with us. Right. A lady from there called me and she said, I was asking questions about this to find out what is happening here. You know, she knew me. She's knew me since she was, since she became a Christian. I was the only pastor she'd really known. And now she was married and had kids. And they said, uh, well, you, you got to stop listening to Dave Curtis. And she said, I'm not listening to him. I'm just reading my Bible. Right. And they said, you need to stop reading your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh, kidding. wow. I'm serious as I can be. The wow. elders of the church told her and her husband, her husband was— Okay, you need to stop reading the Bible. So her husband told her, you can't read the Bible. So that went on for about two weeks. And she just said, I don't care what you say. You know, you you can't, this is an unlawful order. You can't tell me to do this. I'm going to read the scriptures, you know. And and I thought they're calling me a cult. They're calling this, you know, me a heretic. And this is a cult. And they're telling people don't read the Bible. That's all I'm telling people is read the Bible. You know, I'm begging people to read the Bible. And they're telling people don't read it. Because they're afraid. And it's just, you know, it, it's a sad thing, you know? And the same thing, you hear testimony after testimony now of people, pastors and people coming to this preterist belief and being thrown out of their churches, you know, because of that. And it's just...
0: Well, you live in a, a, a left-behind world. We've already been through the Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins books and all the movies and the horrible, horrible um, Kirk Cameron film you know, left behind that whole series. I'll bleep that for you, just in case. You know what?
2: I said, I'll bleep that for you, just
0: in case. Kirk Cameron's an awesome dude, just not so much that movie. But but yeah, but that's primarily the whole world looks at dispensationalism, you know? And then Mike Sullivan, in his Armageddon Deception book, you know, when he talks about Islam and Judaism, and then even like Zionism, it's like our whole world is focused on this massive war that's coming. It's such a negative outlook. And I don't know why everybody loves it and is so attached to it. And what they have to do to believe it, they have to work really hard to believe that. When you read the Bible, it's so much easier to believe the preterist eschatology. To me, it is.
3: Right. Well, that to me is the greatest hindrance we have in sharing preterism is most people, and by far most people, don't know enough about the Bible to talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. They're dispensational because that's what their church tells them they are. They couldn't defend it. They couldn't support it. And I found that most people, if you can sit them down and talk to them and share the scripture with them, will see preterism. Mm -hmm. The problem is they go back to their pastor and right away, oh, that's heresy, stay away. And And then you lost them. Right. You know, I mean, my nephew, when he was in high school, asked me if I would come meet with him and a couple guys from his school to talk to them about preterism. So I said, absolutely. So we went to Starbucks and you know spent hours there laying out the scripture. And these guys were all excited. You know, they were buying it. And then my nephew was all excited. And I said, calm down, let them go back and talk to their parents or their pastor and you'll see things will be different. And sure enough, you know, they, they thought it was cool until someone else told them it was bad. Right. You know, but so that's kind of a hindrance we have. Yeah with You've,
1: the persecution that you're going through, it's almost like you're one of the early Christians. Yeah.
3: Well that's that's I mean they're I never understood persecution. I mean, in this country, where are we going to get it from? Yeah, we but don't when, really have But when it. your church turns against you and the people who are Christians turn against you, then you start feeling this. You know, I mean, like I said, people being thrown out of churches, you know? Um, it, it's it's really sad, you know, because they hold a view that's biblical. <laughs> right. Now, of course, they don't, the people who are throwing them out don't believe that. But again, they they can't debate with these people because they don't want to. They're afraid of it. It's just, you know, when we first put the website up for, and I did as soon as Breein Bible Church started, I knew a guy that did, because I don't know anything about that stuff, but I knew a guy who did it. And I called him and said, can you put a website up for sure? And so one of the links I had on there, it was, was how to refute preterism with the scripture. And you would click on the link and the theme from Mission Impossible would play. <laughs> <laughs> that made a lot of people mad, but I'm like, it's just true. That's it's impossible. Funny. You can't. You can't argue against preterism with the scripture. Right. You can with the creeds, you know, you can with anything else, but you can't use the scripture and argue against this. Right. So, yeah. Was, but it, like I said, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, the more I study, the more I read... The more excited I get about it, the more convinced I am as a Calvinist, the more convinced I am as a Preterist, the more time I spend in it. You know, it's just like it's everywhere. And we have, you know, this brand's been going for 25 years. So some of the young people in the church, they never knew anything else. Right. You know, other than this. So they hear from other people. <laughs> My granddaughter, she goes to a youth group. When we put a new sound system in, the guy who came and did the sound system He heard her sing and he goes, you know, we have a youth group and there's music and we'd love to have her come over and sing, you know, and she's got an incredible voice. So she started going to the youth group on Wednesday nights at this church. So she calls me one day, she goes, Grandpa, you know, they believe the Lord's coming back again? <laughs> and I just started laughing. I said, honey, everybody does but us, okay? Yeah. So that's nothing you're going to, you know. And then a couple of weeks later, she calls me again. They're talking about the devil. That's all they're talking about is the devil this and the devil that, you know? And again, I'm just, you know, she's just like, well, <laughs> they don't understand what other people, you know, that— but Because that's what they're used to. They're used to hearing, you know, what we believe from the Scripture. And so it's kind of shocking when they think other
0: people don't, don't see it that way. But Well, since I have you here, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. Because without Josephus, which we read a lot, you know, Josephus and uh, was it Tacitus and Eusebius and a lot of these other historians— do you feel like there's enough information in the Scripture to close and to have that full preterist view on its own without historical data?
3: Absolutely. You do? You do? I do. I do absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think the historical data is encouraging. I think it's helpful. I think it's supportive. But I think the Scriptures themselves are clear enough. Sure. I just really do. I mean, one of the things I think we have to understand is that the Scripture was all Finished being written prior to AD seventy. Right. And most people don't believe that. And some will argue that you know? Revelation
0: was ninety six, and I've heard that. Yeah. As right, well. but
3: that's a flimsy argument. It is. Okay, there's no support for that. There's only it, one account, right? Right. They just make stuff up. Okay. Right. Gentry did a good job dealing with that mm-hmm. in his book Before Jerusalem Fell, you know, tears that argument all to pieces. Sure. Okay. So yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think we need that stuff. And again, I say it's supportive, it's encouraging, but I think the scriptures themselves are, are really plain enough. I uh, Zane Hodges, who was an author, was a friend of mine, personal friend, and we had some serious conversations and he was on the translating committee for the New King James Version. I don't know how many people were on that committee. I forget how many. I, there was quite a few. And I asked him, I said, so wh- what do you think? Uh, he wasn't a preterist at all. But I said, you know, when do you think the Bible was finished being written? He goes, everybody on that committee feels that nothing was written after AD 70. Yeah. So I was like, that's pretty cool because most of them were dispensational, but they just believed nothing was written after that. You know, and I think if you understand that and you understand the language of Scripture, it's just... You can't get around the time statements, you know. But today, the church turns the time statements on their head. They make them allegorical and they take the allegorical stuff and they make it didactic and they switch everything around. And it's so confusing that, you know, time doesn't mean anything anymore. So,
0: yeah, it's very true. And I've, I agree with you about what the scripture says. And I think that's what was so hard for me initially is that I saw those time statements. And I wrestled with them because to me it seemed like Jesus was a false prophet. That's what I saw. He would, have, saw. Been. He would what, have been. That's what I saw. Right. And I thought, and I agreed with you know a lot of, uh, well, who is the name? What's the name of the the man who wrote Mere Christianity? C.S. Lewis. And I've and I've heard you say this on your on your uh, on your YouTube channel, and as well as what I've seen when he argued with Bertrand Russell, you know, in the, in the debate about this generation shall not pass and how he had said that was the most embarrassing scripture. And, and I felt the same way. Like I did. I thought, if this really didn't happen and all of these people thought it was imminent, including the Lord Jesus, then he really wasn't who he said he was. Let's just call it what it is. And this, I really was ready to set the Bible down. I really was. So I came to preterism because I believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and everything he said came to pass, even though I didn't understand the rest of the Scripture. I just believed him enough. And that was good enough for me at the time to say, okay, I think that this happened, we just don't understand how. And then that's what led me to Josephus and all the other things. And then I discovered preterism and what it was. And uh, so, yeah, that if you read the Scriptures enough, you'll find it. It'll it, it reveals itself. I think the problem with most people that I've ever
1: talked to is They've not read the scriptures. They've Again, only been fed, a, yes. right? And, and and like you said, they, they tell them don't read the Bible. Just listen to the pastor. Because I'm born and raised Catholic. Since I'm a kid, went Catholic schools all my life. Um, and and when I was 19, I was teaching catechism. And in the past, I asked a pastor a question. He said, "You just have to have faith." I'm like, well. Okay, but just show me that in the Bible. No, no, you just have to have faith. And that was the end of me teaching catechism at that school, <laughs> and, uh, at that church, and 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 singing in the choir. I was, I, I, I end up leaving because you couldn't have a conversation. And I find that when I talk to people, you can't have a conversation with them because they're afraid, because they don't want to be the kid that says I don't know the answer, or when the teacher says Does anybody have a question, they don't want to be the person to ask the question because they don't know the answer and because they haven't read the Bible themselves, they have no ground to have a conversation with you. So I think people just don't be, and I think you're absolutely right. People
3: need to read it. And I've used that argument myself when I'm in an argument with someone. They're saying, they're telling me a point of view, and I say, let me ask you a question. Have you read the Bible cover to cover? And they say, no. I said, then how do you know that your arguing is true? It might be in the part you haven't read yet, you know? So I said, we well, don't have an argument anymore. You don't even know where you're coming from. And that's just, you know, again, I... <laughs> Ask most Christians you know, have you read the Bible cover to cover? You're going to get a no. I mean, because it's like, why would you do that? You know, it's, it's like I said in the beginning, it can be daunting. It's, and when people first do read the Bible, they get a little terrified. God's killing everybody.
0: Yeah, You know?
3: I mean, they're wiping out everybody. (laughs) That's why I have to do the one-year Bible, because it splits
1: it up a little bit of this. Because when I start getting to the begats, I'm like, okay, I can't read this for three days. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I can read one today and one next week.
0: (laughs) Anybody anybody that knows our show knows that Andy isn't a believer, but Andy has a lot of great insights. And I'll never forget the time he said, you know, when I read, (laughs) when I hear about the Bible and I I read the Bible, I always felt like, Anytime something was good and loving was going on, like Jesus was was there and everything was cool. But when it got bad, Jesus dug down an Old Testament God just took him and threw him into hell. And you know, I was like, <laughs> I get it. Like I do, like, you know, I see where he comes from because it seems like, you know, God in the Old Testament is a lot uh, harder than Christ was. But what the more and more you read, you realize, oh, this is a special relationship with him and his people and how he treats his people. And then what Christ did for us and how he opens it up To, you know, I say to the world, of course, as Calvinists, we understand it's the remnant, it's the ones that are elect, but regardless of it, we don't know who they are. And so we tell people and we love people regardless, you know. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think, um, you know, this has been awesome. You know, I've wanted to hear this. And
2: um, yeah, Rick Rick loves you and cites you often. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's true. I mean, it it is true. And I, I think the reason why is because I know that feeling of, Studying the scriptures a lot, and people saying, "Oh," and I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm really not. Like I'm not a Bible thumper. I can
2: I can testify to that. Yeah, I
0: don't. Like I I try to love. I try to love is more than I do thump. There are times when you have to, and it's understandable, right? But well, how would you define Bible thumper? Just somebody that hits you in the head with a Bible. Okay. No, that you know those the people that get very hardcore in their doctrine. You know, See, that, as a
3: Calvinist, you don't need to do that. You no, know?
0: <laughs> because you know that the Lord, the Lord, yeah. The of Lord's Most of the time, that.
3: they're spouting dogma, not the Bible, though.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, well, and
3: being free from the guilt that some of the, you know, I, I had, uh, as a young Christian, we had a guy come and work on our refrigerator. And when I was going to college, one of the things we had to do was uh, on one of the classes I was taking, we had to share the gospel with seven people every week, you know, something like that. So, I mean, it's like mandatory evangelism, you know, so you're just doing it, you know, just to do it. But a guy came to the house to work on a refrigerator and I didn't share the gospel with him, you know, and I just was so guilt ridden, you know, when he left, you know, all oh, his blood is on my hands and yes. all, all this guilt that the people put on you and it's just... I'll tell you, it's they're so freeing when you really understand what the scriptures are saying. And Were you a
0: Catholic at the time?
3: <laughs> no, I was Independent Baptist, which is close. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you just don't have to kneel as much. Right.
3: <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh yeah, uh, I used to go to the Catholic church with my wife, who was Catholic. You know, they got nine kids. Of course, they're Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I just remember going, it was so strange to me, you know, being in the Catholic, because I'm from, you know, the Protestant churches go, you sit there, you listen, you get up and you leave. Catholic church, they stand up, kneel, stand up, kneel, you know, the guys come by sprinkling water on people, you know, and I told Kathy, if that guy gets me wet, I'm going to deck him, you know, and so, and so, this is before I was a Christian, so she's trying to push me, keep me away from the priests, and they're burning incense and humming, and, you know, and they're talking in Latin, and I'm like, what is the point of any of this stuff? Right, You can't understand one word this guy's saying. It's all nonsense, you know, water and smoke. And, you know, I just thought this is so crazy. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't a Christian, but to me, this was like, you know, what's this got to do with anything? Yeah. And after I became a Christian, you know, her parents, of course, wanted us to get married in the Catholic Church. And I said, I would not do that, you know, because I didn't believe. And so she goes, you got to go talk to the priest. We did. And my wife didn't like that because I'm giving this guy a hard time. You know, I've been saved six months. I think I knew more about the Bible than this guy did. Yeah. You know, and it was sad. It just you know, and he's telling me, oh, I don't don't remember what they say to me in confession. I'm like, you're a liar. You know, you go home back to the rectory and you guys all talk about that's what so-and-so did. Right. And he was just so offended. I said, my wife used to work over there. She knows some of the stuff that goes on, you know, and it was
0: just, it's just, uh, it's nonsense, you know, but. No, I get it. Well, because of this strange circumstance we're actually at your church and we have uh people in the audience and if there's anybody here that wants to ask a question, is that okay if they oh, want to ask sure. a question? Does anybody have any questions? Yeah, except, go ahead, Mike, except you. Should I have him walk okay, up yeah. to the mic? Let's just go ahead and put him on.
2: Yeah, we'll yeah, use yours.
0: Just come yeah. up to my mic, Mike. Come yeah. to my mic, Mike. Mike
2: I've I, in a move, in a move that wasn't particularly smart. I only turned those 3 on, so yeah, put him right on that. Get right on that thing. It's your friend. Get your, eat it, eat it. kiss I, it. I've heard you talk about it.
1: Zane Hodges before and you, you went to a Bible college. Where did he enter into your life and that transition between the whole lordship and, and your relationship with Zane oh, Hodges? Oh,
3: that's a good question. That's, that's one of the views that was a changing thing for me in my life. As an early Christian, I was very involved in lordship theology. I told you I listened to MacArthur. 8 hours a day. Well, you can't be lordship and not, you know, listen to MacArthur cuz he's very lordship. So I was the way I found Zane Hodges was a footnote. When I read a book, I read the footnotes, you know, cuz there's some good stuff in there, you know. And and I was someone footnoted Zane Hodges, so I'm like, "Wow, that's interesting." So I started I read some of Zane's books. And I got a hold of Zane. He came out to the church and spoke. I got to know him. Like I said, we had some discussions together. Oh, I think one of the things, I met a guy from Dallas Theological Seminary. He he came down here and he was going to college at Regent, getting his law degree. And so we had some debates. He was free grace and um, of the Lordship persuasion. And, And one night I know we were out to dinner, the four of us, and my wife's like shaking her head because this is like, we're arguing scripture all night long, you know? It's not real enjoyable, you know, <laughs> the people who aren't part of the argument. But I remember I got home that night, and it was late. And instead of going to bed, I went back to my study, and I got down on my knees, and I just said, Lord, this is a damnable doctrine if I ever heard one. But if it's true, don't let me miss it. Don't let my prejudice, whatever, blind me to this truth. And my eyes just started opening, and I mean, the the scales fell off because as a Lord, as holding to the Lordship view, I was a Pharisee. Okay, I was just a Pharisee, and I was judging everybody else. And you know, you can't be saved because you do this or you do that. I mean, I really for for a while I thought if somebody cussed, they couldn't be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and talk like that. You know, I mean, you just draw these arbitrary lines and you draw the line and you're right on top of that line. Okay. (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah.
2: (laughs) You just get right on
3: top because you're okay. You know, you're in.
2: I once read that everybody lives by a set of rules that we expect other people to follow, but we don't tell them what they are.
3: Ah. Well, that's true because we have our own beliefs and since there are beliefs, they're Right. That's okay, right. so everybody else should have or do the same things. And they fall short of that. And if but they, they, they don't do know it, our rules. then they're wrong. Yeah. You know, so you lift all these lists of things that what someone can be a Christian, if they do this, they can't be a Christian, they do that, they can't be a Christian. And I'll tell you, that was such a freeing thing in my life. When I moved from lordship to free grace, like a burden lifted off my back, I was free to love other people. I was free to accept other people and deal with them without judging them, without criticizing them, right. just getting to know them, you yeah. know, and not condemning them. You no. got to
1: be a Christian because you were being like Christ, whereas the Pharisees and the Old Testament and, and the Baptist ministers are, you're a sinner and you're going to hell and it's all about that instead of the love and the grace.
3: Yeah, I think you really, you, you be so critical of other people You know, because what they're doing is not Christian. You know, can't be Christian. They can't be a Christian and do that. And that's the most ridiculous thing. This friend of mine that uh, was here for Regent, he said to me, a Christian could do anything a non-Christian can do except go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just heard. And that was shocking. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, Christians do some bad things. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. He purposely murdered a man because he'd slept with his wife. Yes, I mean I don't know how much worse does it get, people. You know, stay off the
0: rooftop, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
3: A king could have had
0: anybody he wanted. He with takes Tiziana some- in our notes, in our notes ones. I mean, we've talked about that. You know, how many, how many times oh. did uh, these characters like Samson, you yeah. know, hip and thigh, killing a thousand people? You know,
2: uh, well, not even that, like. I just go back to the thing where he murdered 30 people for their clothes because yeah. of a Betty law yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what
0: <laughs> yeah and the spirit of the lord rushed upon that guy and he's in the hall of faith in hebrews yeah. 11 and you're like yeah. really like that's the guy you'd pick but that's what we learn we learn and and when and i love what you just said about being able to just love people and and just move on because i think that's the thing that people that that don't believe in the bible or the message or whatever i think they really pick up on they know that you're just always trying to convert them. Like, you you just can't be genuine because you're always in the back of your mind like, oh, I just have to convert them. And when you become a Calvinist, that takes all that away because, you know, I'm not in control of that and it doesn't really matter. Like, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And that's okay. And so people understand and they feel that genuineness. And I think that's that's what it delivered me of.
3: Yes, I agree. And then the same freedom with the Lordship Free Grace, because now I don't have to condemn, I don't have to say he's not a Christian. I don't know what was a relationship with the Lord. He might be struggling. And if he says he's a Christian, and he's living in sin, I'll definitely confront him mm-hmm. as a brother in Christ. Sure. You know, we're called to confront one another, but not condemn him because you know we all have our weaknesses. Sure. You know, and we just condemn other people's weaknesses, mm-hmm. not our weaknesses that we see in them. That's okay. But if they have different weaknesses, then they're wrong. So yeah, I find I'm, somebody that has the same weakness as me, I'm harder on them. And then
1: I'm oh, like, really? oh, that's because I see it in me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta, I just, I've just been convicted. <laughs> okay, I get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, does anybody else have any questions that they'd like to bring? All right,
3: you scared him off with the
0: mic issue yeah <laughs> no, I'll,
3: I'll, I'll
2: actually put one up tomorrow because I think we'll probably won't have this many people at all at once I'll put one up in faith. right
0: right yeah that'll be good just make it easy well I really appreciate you being so welcoming here and and sitting down with us you're one of the few ministers that are willing to do that which is awesome um the 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 lordships guys you know they're they're too worried about what people think of them and their ministry. And I think that's the part that hurts my heart so much is that I see some wonderful people that they could share their testimony with us. I mean, just share your testimony with us, but it's gonna damage their ministry by being around people that aren't exactly like them. Or And and I hate that. That's the part that I hate. I, I would really like to break that down. Like that's that's something that's near and dear to my heart. I think that they need help. The church, the people that are in the church, you know, who call us heretics for believing the preterist, you know, eschatology. And I don't like to throw that word heresy around. Right. But honestly, you know, the C.I. Schofield Bible did a lot of damage and sure D.L. Moody and Dallas Theological Seminary and the things that they've put out, especially in America. It's it, to me, it feels dangerously heretical what they're doing. And I don't like to throw that word around because I know a lot of people that are sincere. Right. They really are, and they don't understand all that eschatology stuff. They don't study the Greek. They don't study the Hebrew, but they do love Jesus, and they do read the Scriptures, and to me, that's good enough. They they trust in Him, and I, and I hope they continue to grow, but um, be careful about what you call heretical, you know? Right. That's what I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, especially for all us we because we're, we're used to being <laughs> called heretical, so...
2: Yeah. That's a that's a running that's a running joke on the podcast is whatever Rick thinks is right. <laughs> so that's what Rick was getting at with that one.
0: Yeah, that's where we were heading down. Well, yeah, so thank you so much for being on the show. It's I'm fun. glad. Thanks for having me. It was yeah, fun. Absolutely. And um I guess it's time for a joke. Oh, no. Oh, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah, these are great, ladies. This is a good one. Okay. They always are not. They always are not. Yeah, I don't, have you guys listened to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy goes to a monastery, and he just—inside he wants to be a monk. That's what he wants. He just knows that's what he wants to be. So he goes to the head monk, and he says, Okay, I want to be a monk, and I want to take a vow of silence. And so the head monk says, Well, listen— You've come to the right place. You've come to the monastery. But here, your vow of silence is 10 years, minimum. You can't say anything. And he goes, okay. And he goes, but after 10 years, you're allowed to say two words and they need to be meaningful. And if you don't want to do this, then now's the time to decide not to do it. But if you do and you decide to stay, then you got to go another 10 years and it'll continue that way until your death. And so he says, I'm in, let's do this. So, he goes in, he gets into his normal duties, he's got his robes, he's doing his thing. Ten years later, he goes to the head monk, and he looks at him and he goes, food bad. (laughs) (laughs) So, he goes back, gets his robes, gets back to his duties, he's working really hard. You know, another ten years goes by, he goes up to the head monk and he says, bed hard goes back, and he goes back to work. So it's like, wow, you know? So another 10 years goes by, and this head monk, and he's getting pretty old. He's still there. And he goes up to him, and he says, I quit. He takes off his robes, and he hands it to the head monk. And the head monk says, I'm not surprised you've been complaining since you've been here. (laughs) I heard a oh that sounded <laughs> like a burro back there. I've got a, I've got a button for that on this. for tomorrow. Pa-dum-pum. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. you actually have a, uh, a what are those things called the the soundboard with the buttons? There's a name for it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Though. Yeah. That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. It would be neat to be able to put like the donkey laugh in there just have on it demand. In the, yeah.
2: He's that's he's I have got it. It's yeah. That's there. a that's little awesome. machine. I forgot what it's we'll, probably just. We'll a be there tomorrow.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you will go to Berean. BibleChurch.org, is that correct? If, yeah, BereanBibleChurch.org. And check out the website. Look at all the resources that they've had available. I've been talking about this for months. Uh, they have a YouTube channel, they have a Rumble channel. Uh, they, they have transcripts on their website that you can copy and paste into my notes so that I can do the podcast. Um, no, but seriously, you can get those notes. I mean, they spend a lot of time. You guys put a lot of effort in. If you watch uh, the sermons, you'll see the scripture that's on the screen alongside with what he's talking about. It highlights it. It points arrows. I mean, it's amazing. You can learn a lot from them. And the, they're also really nice people, and so, if you have a question, they take email. Like they'll they'll respond to an email. Uh, we you send all forty thousand emails to Jeffrey T. McCormick at. <laughs> 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 you guys don't know it, but the whole church is laughing at me. So, well, uh, you know, the great thing about being yeah, here if you too, do want a response, send them to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 The other great thing about being here is, is all the time I'm saying, read your Bible and ask questions, and that's just this this guy's like beating it. Read your Bible, ask questions, read your Bible, ask Yeah, if you go to the website, you, they got a Bible in the Year thing That's the only on there. way you grow is by reading your Bible and ask yeah. questions. And we Amen. always say that you'll get the understanding when you're ready for it. And uh, he's said three or four different times in his life, he wasn't ready for it, and then when he was ready for it, and then he got the understanding, and the, and the scales came away. So it's the same thing for everybody listening. Read your Bible,
0: yes. ask questions. Well, and also, I had had actually asked Pastor Curtis if his wife would be willing to come on and give us her testimony, and she gave me that hard no, (laughs) and she does sing, and so if you want to see her sing, and also, by the way, your granddaughter has a beautiful voice. Thank you. She really does. I got to see it live at the conference, but sometimes if you go on, you can see it happening online, and so, guys, check them out. If you don't have a home church and you're like, what do I do? And I know we got a lot of people on here that actually don't have a home church, go to bereanbiblechurch.org and check them out and then send Jeff a whole lot of emails. You get all the answers that you need. (laughs) Ha, 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 funny, (laughs) funny. Well, thanks, Andy, for driving seven hours to come all the way down here with us. Ralph, thanks for the same setting all this up. And Pastor Curtis and all of you guys at Berean Bible Church for letting us be here. It's so awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we will talk to you guys next time on the boroughs of Berea. See you tomorrow. (laughs) See ya. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it'd be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.